Brothers and sisters, we welcome you here this day to partake of Sunday School Bonanza with us, where we're going to talk about gospel doctrine and get you ready, thinking, prepared to go to class and actually have something to say and not be a wallflower. It sounds good to me. Does it sound good to you? Does it yes. sound good to you, Bill? Yes. Bill Doolittle's with us, everybody. Hi, Jeff. Hi, well, and hi, everybody. Love having Bill here. It's good to see you. So uh, we hope you'll find us at thisweekinmormons.com. Send us an email, contact at thisweekinmormons.com. Let us know how stuff's going. This week's lesson is lesson 39. Everyone knows this phrase. It's called, the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. Um, I guess before we get into it, we've talked about this. What does that really mean? Boy, I don't know. Um, I we think, know it means temple work. But so, yeah. I mean, we talk about spirit of Elijah and people being more interested in learning about their ancestors. And we see sort of a, a pouring out of the, uh, the spirit of Elijah in our time, right? Like all the interest in genealogy. Um, but it's also kind of a, a reference to the bonding that occurs through covenant when we're all sealed together. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways in which we are, our hearts are turned to them. And I don't. Uh, and I guess them to us at the yeah. same time. The, it's hard to know what's one, going on on their side. But. Yeah, the one thing you and I were talking about is we don't know how they turned us. Because I very much see it as sort of electing to suddenly change uh, your priorities, your perspective, right. and realize like, wait a minute, I'm very, very concerned about my ancestors yeah. and about unifying this lineage. And I get that. On their end, I, don't, I just feel like they're eagerly awaiting stuff. But yeah, yeah it works. So yeah, we're going to talk all about... Uh, I almost said missionary work, temple work today, the great value it has, uh, a lot of cool stuff in this lesson. So uh, the lesson kicks off with a story that maybe answers the question that that Jeff and I were just talking about. Um, The story comes from uh, a guy named Frederick William Hurst. William Randolph Hurst. William Randolph Hurst's uh, weird cousin, his weird Mormon (laughs) cousin, Frederick William Hurst who was uh, originally from Australia, and then he came over to Salt Lake and was working in the temple. He was painting in the Salt Lake Temple while it was being built. And in 1893, uh, he was at home, and everyone else had gone to bed, and all of a sudden he saw his his older brother, Alfred Hurst, uh, come in, and he sits down at the table, and uh, Frederick Hurst says to him, you know, when did you get here? And when did you arrive in Utah? Sort of like, when did you finish immigrating? And his brother says, I have just come from the spirit world. So, I, you know, I'm not sure if he knew he was passed on, but yeah, now he yeah. knows, right? And he says, this is not my body that you see. It's lying in the tomb. And I want to tell you a number of things. And he, and he goes on for a bit, but he, he tells him that he has received the gospel. He has uh, attended the Mormon meetings, he says. And then... Um, he tells him that everyone in the family on the other side uh, is waiting. He says, quote, I want to tell you that there are a great many spirits who weep and mourn because they have relatives in the church here who are careless and are doing nothing for them. So that's kind of, uh, I mean, imagine if that happened to you, right? I'm sure he was at the temple every day for the rest of his life. So <laughs> they, um, you know, this is maybe how their hearts turn to us. It is that they are focused on... Uh, getting these ordinances and receiving, you know, all that all that they can receive, and we are the only way for that to happen. So, as they have relatives in the church, they're probably just focused on each of them, hoping that that member of the church will be the one to to bring them in. Yeah. Uh, by the way, this is, this is a bit of an aside, but I like that the spirit said I attended the Mormon church, so I assume that we have services 
in the spirit world, which I just love to think about that. Like uh, all the spirits still getting together, going to the church. You wouldn't get tired. People still picketing outside. If they, we could have some. The yeah, you could have some Interesting to think about. Yeah. Now, of course, all of this started. We go way back to the Kirtland era. Okay. Um, even before the Kirtland era, actually, so when Moroni came to Joseph Smith, he recited these words of Malachi. He said that Elijah would plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers. Um, uh, and this, of course, as time went on, we eventually found ourselves in the Kirtland Temple. Now, what happened in the Kirtland Temple? Well, on April 3rd, 1836, that was that great day. That It was Pentecostal, truly, in all the se- with everything that happened with Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery that day. Uh, after many different manifestations that they had received, was Elijah the last one? I think he might have been, huh? Mm, yeah, I, I don't think remember. so. After, after receiving uh, Moses... Uh, Elias, which many people believe was Noah, because that's more, Elias is more of a title. And then Elijah visited, and what did he do? Uh, he conferred the sealing power upon Joseph Smith. That is the power, of course, that makes eternal marriage, sealing to parents, temple ordinance work for the dead, makes all of that possible. And that's incredibly important. I mean, that's it's amazing that that happened. And I love that that happened way, way earlier on in the Kirtland era, uh, ceilings transpired, but we wouldn't really see the, the the full realization of those things until the Nauvoo era. I feel like um, that's right. The, the stuff developed over time, but there just wasn't enough use of the Kirtland Temple. No, I mean the Kirtland Temple. The Kirtland Temple really was a preparatory temple. If you l- want to look yeah. at it like the priesthoods, of course, we did not do all of the same ordinances in there, if any, really. Um, that they did in the Nauvoo Temple, and honestly, I feel like the Kirtland Temple. This is just me. This is just me conjecture. That uh, it was constructed because the Lord needed a sanctified enough place for him and his servants to appear and restore so many of these things. They couldn't just hmm. do this yeah. uh, out in a field or out by the Susquehanna River. They needed a place that had been dedicated to the Lord to do it. And that's part of why that temple was built. This is, of course, just me with yeah. my opinion. But but I, I feel like that makes sense. So um, where's that great quote here? I like this idea. We, you ever hear a uh, bill about the whole concept of the earth being utterly wasted at the Lord's coming? I have indeed. So we hear about this, uh, and this is in reference. If there is no ceiling power, if there is no ceiling, of course, what does that mean? How is it going to be wasted? Elder Holland has something to say about that. Uh, he says that quote, no family ties would exist in the eternities. He means without the ceiling power. And indeed the family of man would have been left in eternity with neither root ancestors nor branch descendants inasmuch as sealed united celestially saved family of god is the ultimate purpose of mortality any failure here would have been a curse indeed rendering the entire plan of salvation utterly wasted this almost seems like going back to the the garden in that sense you know like what if this stuff hadn't happened it'd be a complete waste we'd just be rendered moot basically so well we'd be stuck with you know unless you heard the gospel on the earth you were out of luck and that's that is the position of some other churches, but Many fortunately churches. we don't we don't have to uh, we don't have to assign ourselves to that kind of fatalism. <laughs> exactly, and we'll get more to that. So um, I think uh, something interesting that comes out in this lesson is the central role that President Woodruff played, Wilford Woodruff played, in really bringing genealogy, family history, and temple work together as a as a very serious effort of the of the members of the church. Um, you know, it was, the seeds were there all along, you know. I mean, Moroni is telling Joseph, a very young Joseph Smith about Malachi's promise, and then the keys are restored in Kirtland. Uh, Joseph has, you know, writes the letters to the saints in 127 and 128 about doing 
baptism for the dead, um, and other ordinances come along with that. But really, the the way that we view it now as this genealogical effort and the temple work going along with the genealogical effort happened under President Woodruff. And he had been a temple president in Mm -hmm. uh, St. George. And while he was there, he had a, I mean, he he had this incredible vision and a lot of we've we've heard about it before most of us right this is the one where he said um that a number of quote unquote eminent men came to him and they said you have had the use of the endowment house for a number of years and yet nothing has ever been done for us we laid the foundation of the government you now enjoy this includes <laughs> the signers of the declaration and we remain true to it and were faithful to God. He says, these were signers of the Declaration of Independence of the U.S., and they waited on me for two days and two nights. I straightway went into the baptismal font and called upon Brother McAllister to baptize me for the signers of the Declaration of Independence and 50 other men, making 100 in all, including John Wesley, Columbus, and others. So he has this great vision, and you see that you know, there's a there's this great arc of history that Mormonism puts itself in the middle of, that a lot of things were preparatory to the respira- restoration of the gospel, and, uh, and, you know, Mormonism will sort of be the important piece of going forward, of, of a lot of history going forward. And so here it is. Here's this welding link between those who prepared the way for the restoration and us and, and yeah. the things that they prepared the way for. So... You can see why President Wilfred Woodruff had such a passion for it, and he started calling, um, when he was president of the church, he called genealogical missionaries um, and started, you know, directed uh, the organization of a genealogical society for the church. So it really starts to blossom under him, and, and of course it did after an experience like that. And that's, I, I love that we were able to talk about this in the lesson. We so easily talk about, you know, stringing the generations together, and of course, this work had gone on previous to that, but it's funny to realize it wasn't until President Woodruff that it really got underway that you had this genealogical push. Like, no, it doesn't even do your own ancestry. Mm-hmm. Go dig deep, find this stuff out, make the connections, put it together. And before yeah. that, there wasn't as much emphasis on that. Before it was more like, well, my wife died and we didn't have the ordinances, so let's, let's, let's put it, it together. Yeah. yeah, so really cool. Now, I love section 138 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, for many reasons, it's the last section of the Doctrine and Covenants. <laughs> Uh, but also because I wish we had stuff like this happen today. I mean, after that, we just had two official declarations. Uh, well, one official declaration, then this, whatever. But um, this is such a great section because it was a vision that Joseph F. Smith had. This is not a vision that Joseph Smith had, that Brigham Young had. This is Joseph F. Smith. We're, you know, we're moving more into the modern age, and he came up and said, I was reading, and he said, you know, he was reading First Peter. He was reading uh, chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. Uh, which are famed. I'll actually read them quickly right now. It says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us unto God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which he also went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the, uh, waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. So I love that this is, a, this is just like Joseph Smith. Joseph F. Smith said, he was pondering this. He said, what is this? The, the Savior was, was preaching to the people from beyond the grave? What is the history here? And as such, he received the vision uh, that is Doctrine and Covenants, section 138. And it's full of all kinds of great stuff. But the main crux of it here is to understand, I like, uh, to whom 
Christ was speaking? Whom did Christ teach mm-hmm. uh, in particular? And the lesson, all we can read them, but it starts in verse 12 if you happen to read it yourself. The main ones are those who have been faithful in the testimony of Jesus when they lived in mortality, um, those who had offered sacrifice in the similitude of the sacrifice of the Son of God, had suffered tribulation in the Redeemer's name, had departed the mortal life firm in the hope of a glorious resurrection through the grace of God the Father and his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and were filled with joy and gladness and were rejoicing together because the day of their deliverance was at hand. Um, it also mentions um, to whom he did, the Savior did not go, of course, and that's those who died in their sins, um, those who were, you know, naughty. Which it's interesting to yeah. think about. I, I, just, I just realized this while you were explaining that, that, you know, during his mortal ministry, Christ came to everyone in the in the old world. But then after, you know, the the sole appearance that we know of after uh, after his resurrection, he's both well in the old world. He appears to member faithful members of the church. He appears to some of the brethren, right? And then he comes to the new world, and the wicked have all just been killed. So he's he's appearing to the righteous, and in the spirit world. He appears to the righteous. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, we, we easily think he was there trying to convert more people to the cause, but that wasn't yeah. necessarily the case. Later verses also talk about uh, what the charges of other people. Like I like that uh, in verse 57, it says, I beheld that the faithful elders of this dispensation, when they depart from mortal life, continue their labors in preaching the gospel of repentance and redemption. You know, our work is not done. Uh, it's, it's wonderful to know, of course, as well, that when we pass on, we can either be on one side preaching the gospel or those who have not had the chance to preach the, or to hear the gospel are going to be given that opportunity. And that's one of those incredible doctrines in the church that I, I hold so dear to my heart because I can't fathom this belief of you didn't receive a knowledge of Christ, tough caboodle. Right. And that's it. It's, it's you know, the great uh, addition of Mormonism to say, no, like, Christianity just isn't that unfair. Like you really... Everyone will get a chance. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's just outstanding. I yeah. absolutely love that. The last section here, uh, so we're going a little long, so we need to finish up, but uh, President Hinckley talked about building temples. Bill, I think you and I are about the same age. We remember when President Hinckley announced, we're going to build 100 temples. Yeah. I remember hearing a, a hush in the congregation when he said that in general conference. People were like, are you serious? Because back yeah. then we had, I think we had high 40s or something yeah. like that. It was that's very right. ambitious. And to get them all done within about two years yeah. was what it was looking at. Um, but what a blessing that has been during that stretch. Do you remember? I remember the fervor within the church during that stretch of just building all these temples. It was great. Uh, uh, do you remember the story about how President Hinckley, when he came up with the design for the temples, you ever heard that? On the napkin? Yeah, that. He was just yeah, dry. Yeah. I think he was just going somewhere else, and he said he had like inspiration, a vision, drew this whole architectural plan on a napkin and said this is what we're going to do we need to do this yeah and look what we have today we have wonderful temples like the oklahoma city temple yeah it looks exactly like the raleigh north carolina temple that looks exactly like the birmingham alabama temple but they're all they're all they've got it yeah for me it was really special because the oklahoma city temple which is my home temple uh for those of you following along um was dedicated the same day as the caracas venezuela temple which was my mission uh temple and i was at the Caracas uh, dedication, and my mother was at the Oklahoma City uh, Temple dedication on the same day. And um, President Hinckley actually came to do the Caracas Temple and shared. He, he said something that I've always remembered. That he said, you cannot believe in the immortality of the soul without seeing the need to do the work in the temples. And um, that really, I mean, that tells you where he was coming from, you know. This stuff is 
essential for everyone. And if you really believe that there's a life after this one, you must believe that people all need this work. Yeah. And they absolutely do. That's why we keep building temples and uh, the enormous blessing that they are. We have 141 operating now today, which is remarkable. Uh, And we need to wrap up. I also loved when I was reading a book a while ago about President McKay. They actually built temples. I didn't know this. When they built the temple in London and the temple in New Zealand and the one in in, uh, Switzerland back in the 50s, None of those places had stakes even. It wasn't like the church membership was huge Mm. and they needed a temple. It was a vision where uh, President McKay actually felt, no, if we build this temple, it will legitimize the church and people will gather there and it will get stronger. And it did. And I think that's remarkable. And we don't see that as much today. You know, we tend to see a temple prop up uh, when the membership warrants it. But at the same time, don't take your temple for granted. Uh, Rally around that temple. Make the most of it. Don't get lazy if they build one near you, which I've seen happen many times, unfortunately. Wonderful work of redeeming the dead. Please, folks, uh, we already told you where to contact us, but go to Facebook, go to Twitter, go to all these things. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, all that stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, Bill, thanks for being here again. Jeff, thanks for having me. Love having you. This is Lesson 39, everybody. The hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. Go out there and do your genealogy. You'll be happy you did. This is Sunday School Bonanza by This Week in Mormons, and we hope you have a good one. Bye-bye.